Matthew 6, 19-24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we're starting a two-week series today on generosity, a two-week series on uh, giving, and I know what you're thinking. Great. Oh, great. And uh, I sympathize, and I also know uh, if you've been around the block in the church world for a while, uh, you might have picked up on the way these things tend to happen. Around this time of year, uh, typically there will be a money series. The money series often comes when the income to budget ratio is not looking so good when it comes to the leadership of the church, at least that's their view, or when a church is about to go into a capital campaign and needs to raise some money, here comes the money series, right? Well, I just want to tell you, our income to budget ratio is fine. We're doing fine financially. We're not in any sort of financial crisis, and we're not about to have a capital campaign yet. But if you want to contribute, you can come talk to me after church. Um, We're not having a capital campaign yet. Um, So none of those reasons are the reason we're doing a a little mini-series on giving. Here's the real reason. We're doing a little mini-series on giving and generosity because it's a really significant part of discipleship. It's a really significant part of discipleship. And one of our core values as a church is a commitment to discipleship. And so every series we do is intended in part to further that purpose in our lives. So how do we know that the way we use money and our generosity is a significant part of our discipleship? How do we know that? Well, just let me give you a few statistics. Um, In the Bible, there are approximately 500 or so verses on prayer. There's about 500 verses or so on faith. There's 2,000 verses in the Bible, approximately, on money and giving. Four times as much as there is on prayer, four times as much as there is on faith. That's a lot. Um, That's a big deal. Um, Approximately one in ten verses in the New Testament, 10% of the New Testament deals with money. 16 of Jesus' 30 parables deal with money. And 25% of Jesus' teaching, statistically, is about money. Now, imagine if I did a sermon on money one every four weeks. You would probably want to do to me what Jesus' hearers did to him. You would not love that, I would imagine. In fact, some people might question if I was lined up with Jesus' teaching, if I taught on money that much. And the facts are, actually, that I'm not lined up on Jesus' teaching, on this topic, because I think I've taught on money maybe three times in five and a half years at our church. But this was a big deal to Jesus. It's a big part of Christian discipleship, and that's why we're talking about it, okay? So this is going to be a little bit of a challenge sermon. Every sermon's a little different, and some have different incentives, some have different foci, and this, the focus of this one is, is to challenge you in line with the gospel to think about this topic. So we're hitting on this topic this week and next week before we move into Advent. And I'm going to take a a couple of minutes at the end of the sermon to introduce our our vision for stewardship in 2020 to you. So this text that Lauren read for us is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. 
and it was preached by Jesus. And here in chapter 6, he's in the middle of a section where he's talking about various spiritual disciplines. If you'll look at chapter 6, you'll see that he talks about prayer in verses 5 through 15. And then in verses 16 through 18, he talks about fasting. And in verses 19 through 24, what Lauren read, he talks about giving and generosity. And so we're going to camp out there just for a couple of minutes today. And here's the big idea, the main point for you. Jesus wants us to pursue real treasure for our own good and for the sake of his kingdom. Very simple. Jesus wants us to pursue real treasure for our own good and for the sake of the kingdom. Okay? First, this text shows us that the treasure you pursue is either a foolish or a wise investment. The treasure you pursue is either a foolish or a wise investment. It's kind of simple the way Jesus puts this. He opens up by giving us two really clear commands. One, do, and one, do not. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, verse 19. But then in verse 20, he says, but do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now the word treasure there means exactly what you would think it would mean. It refers to money and possessions. And we know this because in the parallel in Luke's gospel, it's even clearer. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, sell your possessions and give it to the needy. Provide yourselves with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So Jesus is saying that to pursue treasure on earth is to spend and invest our money and possessions on things of the earth. And to pursue treasure in heaven is to spend and invest our money and possessions on things in heaven, things of the kingdom. Now, I want you to think about that with me here at the outset, because this might be surprising to us. Jesus here very clearly wants us to pursue treasure. Jesus wants us to pursue treasure. The question is, what constitutes true treasure? What constitutes real wealth? Jesus tells us to go after treasure, but the right kind of treasure. Treasure that can be used for the kingdom of God. Treasure in heaven. He says it's foolish, in fact, to only pursue earthly treasure, and that it's wise to pursue heavenly treasure. And he tells us why. I mean, look in the verses. It's very clear. He says it's foolish to pursue earthly treasure because it will not last. And it's wise to pursue heavenly treasure because it will last. Treasure on earth is going to be destroyed. Moth and rust will wipe them out. Notice he doesn't say that earthly treasure might be lost. Like it's a speculative gamble. He says earthly treasure will definitely be lost. There's a 100% chance that it's all going to leave you one day. Jesus is saying it's a, it's a foolish investment. And if we think with a heavenly mindset, it makes sense. Earthly treasure either leaves us while we are alive or we leave it when we die. It either leaves us while we're alive or we leave it when we die. You've heard the saying that you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? You can't take it with you. That's what Jesus is getting at. But he says treasure in heaven will last. Treasure in heaven is guaranteed to be 100% successful. And so he says go after treasure in heaven. He says the treasure you are pursuing is either foolish as an investment or wise as an investment. Now, I find that really interesting. Jesus' primary arguments 
against amassing material wealth is not that that's morally wrong. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying it's morally wrong to amass material wealth. It's not morally wrong. His primary argument against only amassing material wealth or treasure of the earth is that it's just a stupid and poor investment. You know, people are always looking for safe places to put their money. And Jesus here says there's really only one safe place to put our money, our resources, our possessions in the kingdom of God. By wisely and generously using our earthly resources, which will mean foregoing some earthly treasures, we lay up treasure in heaven. That's his point. You're either living your life making foolish investments or wise investments when it comes to the way you're thinking about your money, possessions, and finances. The author, uh, Randy Alcorn, uses an illustration that I found very helpful. He says, imagine um, that you're alive at the end of the Civil War. And imagine that at the end of the Civil War, you're living in the South, but you're a Northerner. Um, And you plan to move home back to the North as soon as the war is over. But while you're in the South, you've accumulated all kinds of Confederate currency. Now suppose you know for a fact that the North is going to win the Civil War and that the end of the war is imminent. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your Confederate currency? Well, if you're smart, if you're wise, there's only one answer. You immediately cash in, right, your Confederate currency for United States currency because it's the only currency, the only money that's going to have any real value when the war is over. So you keep only enough Confederate currency to meet your short-term needs, In a similar way, Christians, everyone who is a Christian in this room, has insider trading knowledge. We have insider trading information of a coming change in the worldwide economic system. The currency of this world, Jesus is saying here, is going to be worthless at Christ's return or at our deaths. And this knowledge... Jesus is challenging us to consider this knowledge should radically affect our investment strategy. So he says, lay up treasure in heaven. So how do you do that practically? What does it mean to lay up treasure in heaven? There's multiple ways you can lay up treasure in heaven. I'm going to talk to you about one of them. Assuming you want to invest wisely in the kingdom of God, how do you do it? Well, with respect to money specifically, one way is to tithe. To tithe. Now, a tithe, as many of you likely know, comes from the Old Testament. Tithe literally means tenth. A tithe was, in the Old Testament, a 10% requirement of the people of Israel that they were to give each year that went to the Levites so that the worship and the establishment of the temple or tabernacle of God's people could continue. And now theologians and pastors today debate if in the New Testament the tithe is still active, if it's still something we're required to do. Um, Jesus, in Matthew, seems to encourage the tithe. Let me just read this. Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, here's what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, this is good, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus is saying here, the heart of God is that you not be hypocritical in your seeking to follow him. There are weightier matters that you pursue justice and mercy and faithfulness, but Jesus says you should have been, Pharisees, doing both. In the book of Acts, there's nothing about the tithe. 
And in Paul's letters, there's virtually nothing about the tithe. But what we do see very clearly in Acts and very clearly in the New Testament letters is radical, sacrificial generosity. So much so that in Acts chapter 2, when Luke, the author of Acts, is describing the church, he says that they had everything in common so as no one had any need. Now, be honest, that sounds crazy borderline cultic, to have everything in common so that no one has any need. So I think it's fair to say that the tithe is not a prescription for us. It's not a prescription for us because we are no longer under law, we're under grace. But given the pattern and the weight of the New Testament evidence and the way the Holy Spirit works in the world, I think it's fairer to see the tithe as a baseline guide for giving. The tithe, is, the tithe is, a, is not to be done under compulsion, but with a heart of joy. A tithe isn't the only way to give or to invest in treasure in heaven, but it is, I think, intended to be a starting point for generosity, for laying up treasure in heaven. It's not a ceiling for giving. According to the New Testament, the tithe is the floor for giving. It's training wheels for giving. And it's super valuable because one thing it does is provide perspective. It reminds us that all that we have is God's. And it requires planning. The Old Testament makes it clear that it should be the first fruits. So it's not legalistic to tithe. It can be legalistic if you're doing it to earn God's favor and think you're better than other Christians because you do it. But it's not inherently legalistic. I'll just say personally, uh, the tithe in my life has been of immense spiritual benefit. Um, and please hear this in the sense of how the Apostle Paul says, follow my example. Um, from the very first time, Marianne, very early in our marriage, we committed to tithing. It was just a conviction we had as a baseline for our giving. And this is when I made, you know, 20 grand a year as a teacher when I was in seminary. And um, from day one, that's something we've done. And God has always taken great care of us. We give 10% of our income to the local church to this church, because this church is my, I'm the pastor, but it's also my home. It's my spiritual home. It's the kingdom of, it's the kingdom outpost of the work of God in the world. It's where my primary spiritual nourishment comes from. Now, on top of that, as we can, we give to other opportunities and kingdom needs. We support an orphan child in Africa, and we give sometimes to RUF, to ministries that we love, and care about. And I I just want to be honest with you as a sinful person who loves money just like you love money. Tithing over time has made me love it more. It's made me love generosity more. And that's, I think, part of what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying that we're being stewards of God's resources that he has given us, and we're storing up heavenly treasure that will last when we support the gospel ministry of our church through tithing and of other ministries through giving. So let me just tell you practically, if you aren't at a place right now, financially, where you can tithe, you should start. You should start. You should start next year. You should make changes slowly over time to get to that point. I don't want to be super prescriptive here. The point is to think about how you can give sacrificially in your generosity so that you're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. One of the beautiful things about the tithe as an example is that it shows us again and again that God is just as capable of taking care of you on 90% of your income as he is of taking care of you on 100%.
Um, and now you're being obedient, so the 90% can be even more wonderful. It's, it's a prime piece of your personal discipleship, a prime piece of your growth in grace. It's one of the many ways that Jesus asks us to consider if we're making wise kingdom investments or foolish investments with the treasure he's given us. So the first point is that the treasure you pursue is either a foolish investment or a wise investment. Second, the treasure you pursue determines where your heart goes. Look at verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I'd never thought of this until this week. You would actually expect Jesus to say here, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. That's also true, by the way. And we're going to see that in just a second. But that's not what he says. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And then he gives this somewhat strange illustration about how the health of the eye determines the health of the body. So much so that if your eye is healthy, your body is full of light. If your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. So what's Jesus saying? Well, we're going to see in just a minute that the way we use our money shows where our hearts are. But that's not what he's saying here. Jesus is saying is that the way we use our money, the treasure we pursue determines where our hearts go. In other words, if I want my heart to be in one particular place and not in another, then, according to Jesus, I need to put my money in that place and not in the other. Money is like an offensive line, and our hearts are like the running back. Uh, Running backs, the greatest running backs, really, are only as good as their offensive line is. And if you know football, thank you for all the texts about Baylor last night. I really appreciate that, Um, them blowing a 28-point lead. Thank you for that. One thing Baylor did not do last night is run the football well, especially in the second half. If you know football, you know that wherever the offensive linemen go, where they plow, the running back follows with the ball. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here about our hearts and money. Just as an example, I've heard from time to time as a pastor, I've heard people say, I really want to have a bigger heart for for foreign missions. Um, I really want to learn about foreign missions and be a part of what God is doing in the world. Now, Jesus is saying here that a big way to increase your heart for foreign missions is to put your money there. Put your money in missions and your heart will follow. If you say, for example, you really care about modern human trafficking, about modern day human slavery, then Jesus would say you should put your money in organizations that are seeking to fight against that in the world because that will increase your heart for it. Where your money goes, your heart will follow. It's kind of like the way we are with our iPhones when we're driving. We go wherever our iPhones tell us, even if we already know the directions. We still follow, at least I do, my iPhone blindly, without question. That's what our hearts do with our money. I mean, Will just prayed for Josabad and Kayla, who have just landed in Turkey. And I got to admit, I'm like following news about Turkey now more regularly than I did before I knew the Ayalas were there and we were supporting them financially. I mentioned a second ago, Marianne and I have been through Compassion International supporting a, a girl in Niger in Africa for years now. And I follow news about that particular part of Africa more than I otherwise would because I have resources that are funneling to that place. Jesus is saying that where your money goes, your heart follows. 
So listen, listen, listen. If, if when our treasure is in the kingdom, our hearts go there as well, then the reverse must also be true. The reverse must also be true. If your treasure is all in things of the world, then that inevitably is where your heart is. Here's what I want to say to you, very practically. The Bible does not advocate asceticism. Asceticism is the idea that being poor is inherently godly. The Bible does not advocate that. In fact, many people in the Bible who are full of faith and hope and love are extremely wealthy financially. Abraham is an example. Job is an example. And just personally, anecdotally, in my life, some of the godliest, wisest, holiest people I've ever known are people who are also extremely wealthy and generous with their wealth. On the other hand, it's also possible to be dirt poor and to have an ungenerous, shriveled up, hollow heart. So having a lot of money is not bad. In fact, having a lot of money is good. It's good. It means you've been entrusted with a lot of God's resources to steward. And it's also good to enjoy things that money can buy and afford you. That's not bad. That's good. Enjoying God's creation is not bad. It's good. Taking really fun vacations, living in beautiful homes, driving nice vehicles, none of those things are bad. None of them are bad. They can all actually be very, very good. We are not ascetics. But, but, here's the danger of money. Here's the danger of money. If your money goes only or primarily into these things, your heart goes only or primarily into these things. So people, uh, to be people, to be people storing up treasure in heaven then, very practically, I think one of the clear conclusions from Jesus' teaching here is that we have to be people who have enough financial margin in our lives to be generous. To be people who are storing up treasure in heaven, we have to be people who have enough financial margin in our lives to be generous. We have to all ask ourselves, do we have the financial capacity to bless others and to be generous? Now, I mean that generally, We all have, at certain times in our lives, particular circumstances that render that impossible for all kinds of reasons. I'm talking generally. If our otherwise financial situations are fairly normal and not irregular, do we have the financial capacity to bless others and be generous? And if the answer to that is no, then we cannot afford our current lifestyles. If the answer to that is no, I don't have the financial capacity to be generous, then you cannot afford your lifestyle. Think about this. If you're driving a brand new truck, like you love the truck, and I say, man, that's an awesome truck. And you say, yeah, man, I'm God's blessed. God's blessed me. I put 18 cents down on this bad boy. 18 cents down, 10-year note, $900 a month. That's all it is. Great truck. I love this truck. Pastor, I'm not going to be given for the next 10 years, but I love this truck. I can afford this truck. It's an amazing truck. You can't afford the truck. You've rendered yourself no margin to give, to be generous, to care for others. These are the things that I want you to consider. If you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, 
if you've been impacted by the power of his grace to you, if you've encountered his love, if you revel in his faithfulness to you, if you delight in the glory of the cross, pardoning all of our sins, then that impacts what you do with money. It just does. And it impacts the way you think about possessions practically, daily, and habitually. The treasure you pursue determines where your heart goes. Okay? Last thing Jesus says. Verse 24. This is as painful for me as it is for you, so stay with me, okay? Last thing. The treasure you pursue indexes who rules your heart. Our treasure determines the direction of our hearts. And then verse 24, Jesus very famously says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or mammon. Mammon is sort of a more general term for possessions and money. So Jesus means here that all the time, in each one of our hearts, there is a constant battle, a constant war being waged. Right now, in every single one of us, there's a constant competition going on, a war. And it's a war, it's a war for our heart's deepest affections, for what our hearts love the most, for what our hearts most desperately cling to. And here's what Jesus is saying, whoever is winning the war is the God of your life. Whoever's winning the war of your heart is who or what you worship. The center of our heart's affection, according to the Bible, should be on God. And yet the very essence of human sin, the very essence of our rebellion against him is to center our hearts on something else or someone else, to look for someone or something other than God to worship and to fulfill us. And Jesus is saying, not me, Jesus, perhaps the best litmus test, the best index of what your heart is truly set on is how you handle money. That's why he talks about it so much, 25% of his teaching, is devoted to money because money has this incredible power to steal our affections, to steal away the affections of our hearts. It's not inherently bad, but the evil one uses it as a very powerful tool, a very powerful device to draw us away from God. So to be generous with money and to be willing to give it away is a key index for knowing if you're putting God's will first in your life or if you're putting your will first in your life. Listen, listen. Jesus here is making the options for us crystal clear. Can I say this to you in love? I love you. But Jesus, who also loves you, is being clear here. This is not an either or a both and. This is an either or. It's either God or money. It cannot be both. It can't be 50-50. It can't be money on Monday through Saturday at like, you know, 2.30 p.m. And then I'll start at 3 p.m. and go through Sunday with God. No. No, no, no. It's one or the other. And there are regular occurrences in our lives as disciples when we have to choose to either sacrifice money or to sacrifice God. That's that's the bottom line. You can't have two masters, Jesus says. I've told this story before. Uh, I'm going to tell it again. Um, it's a story from a, a pr- British preacher in the 20th century named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He tells a story about a, a British farmer who has a, a farm out in the, the highlands uh, of the UK. And uh, to his delight, one day, one of his, his cows gives birth and unexpectedly 
Um, his cow gives birth to two, to twin baby cows. And he's so delighted at this, so excited about this as a farmer that he, he rushes in and he says to his wife, Honey, God has been so gracious to us. He's given us two cows and not just one. He's, he's blessed us so immensely. And so as a response to God, as this cow grows up and I prepare this cow for sale, I'm going to donate the sale of one of these cows. I'm going to give one of the cows to God to thank him for his blessings in my life, to thank him for all that he's given me, to thank him for this particular unexpected blessing. And so the farmer begins to raise up the cows and farm the cows, whatever farmers do with cows. Some of you can come correct me on that later. And uh, one day he comes in after work, just despondent, just despondent, sad, trembling as he sets his hand on the dinner table. And his wife says, honey, what's wrong? Honey, what's wrong? And he looks up at his wife and he says, Honey, God's cow died. I'm sorry to say it, honey, but God's cow has passed away. The point is, uh, it's almost always God's cow that dies. (laughs) It's almost always God's cow that dies. It's almost always, I'll give to treasure in heaven and invest in the kingdom of God when I get out of debt. Or I'll give and invest in the kingdom of God when my kids are through college. Or I'll give and invest in the kingdom of God when uh, my 401k is in a place that I feel comfortable in. Or I'll give and invest in the kingdom of God when uh, I get this next raise or this annual bonus. It's always God's cow. It's always God's cow that's getting sacrificed. And the point that Jesus is saying is that that is what is indexing your heart. What you say is irrelevant. What you do, especially with your money, is what determines who you're worshiping. Here's the bad news. The bad news is that all of us, me included, to a significant degree, tend to serve money and not God. That's one reason why money is so powerful. It's so powerful because we, wear, we rarely realize how enslaved we are to it. I mean, have you ever thought about that? If you're, uh, as a Christian, if you're struggling with uh, sexual immorality, if you're addicted to pornography, I mean, you know that. It's very evident. When you're engaging in lust, you know just very evidently that, oh, I'm engaging in lust right now. If you're addicted to a substance, you know that. It's very evident. There's a very clear one-to-one correspondence. But, but it's not like that with money. I mean, I heard Tim Keller say once that in 40 years of ministry, he's never one time had someone come up to him and say, Pastor, I really struggle with greed. I really struggle with greed. Can you please pray for me? He's had a lot of other ones. I struggle with lust, Pastor. I struggle with anger. But greed is something that very few of us see. Very few of us see how enslaved we are to it. But God sees it. And the good news is that God is generous to ungenerous people. Do you know that? That's good news. God is generous to ungenerous people. In fact, God sent Jesus to die for those who serve money and bow down to money. And don't bow down to him. That's why Jesus came. God gave a gift in Jesus knowing that we are not generous and that we don't want to be generous. So God was and is generous to us. He has given us his only begotten son. He has given us his very spirit. He's given us the power through the spirit to repent and to believe. It's his gospel, his work, his grace that changes us. 
And it's only His gospel and His grace that can give us the capacity to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven, that can give us the capacity to be generous. And the good news is that He will do it, and He is doing it. So He calls you, and He he calls me. He calls me to be generous, not to satiate Him or to please Him or to be a good little Christian boy and girl, but as a loving response to his infinite generosity to you. And at the end of the day, friends, that is the path of discipleship. It's intentionally and prayerfully crafting and forming our lives around God's kingdom. Intentionally and prayerfully crafting and forming our lives around God's kingdom in response to God's great grace to us in Jesus Christ. The challenge for us is are we actually going to make the changes we need to make in our lives to do just that? knowing that really it's the wisest possible use of what really is all God's to begin with. We believe money is just a key part of our spiritual formation at Christ Church. And generosity is, I am convinced, as our culture continues to move into a post-Christian era, generosity is going to be more and more one of the primary spiritual practices that distinguish Christians from the world and that therefore make our faith both believable and also beautiful. If people look at the church and look at Christians and say, they're giving away money so that their standard of living is lower than it otherwise could be, that says something about the gospel that we believe. One of the things that our elders have been led to is to challenge you in that this coming year. And I want to say this, our church is generous. You are generous. I'm proud of you and I commend you. I do know that all of us love God also all of us love money, and we need to be daily repenting and believing of that. We're a generous church. I said at the beginning, we're not in some sort of financial crisis. We're not trying to raise money for a capital campaign. I don't, I'm not like trying to do the whole pastor plead for your money thing. I'm not. But what we are interested in is growing as shepherds in the way we seek to disciple and lead ourselves and the way we seek to disciple and to lead you. So with that in mind, I want to wrap up with three minutes on this. One of the things that we're th- Uh, we've committed to doing for the next year is ask you to prayerfully consider um, how you're going to give in the next year to our church. We've created these. These are, we're calling them stewardship cards. It's a very simple thing that we're going to ask each one of you who call Christ Church home to do. If you're a member here, if you're a regular attender here, we would love for you to take one of these home and over the next six weeks to pray, to speak with your spouse if you have a spouse. If you have children in the home, It's very important that you speak to your kids about this, about how you are going to commit to giving financially in the next year. There's a couple of reasons we want to do this as leaders. One, very practically, is because it would help us to wisely approve a budget that is both wise and bold if we have some information about what the income is going to be. I mean, most businesses seem to have a pretty good sense of what the income is going to be before they plan the expenses, right? Most churches don't do that. Churches just plan a bunch of expenses and then say, hope we get some income. Now, we're acting in faith here, and yet we also want to be good stewards. And so one of the reasons we're doing this is so we can get a good sense of what our parameters might be budget-wise. Much more importantly, though, we're considering this because we want you to intentionally think about how you're going to use your money to store up treasure in heaven. And we want to intentionally lead ourselves and lead you into faithful discipleship. In fact, that's our responsibility as your shepherds, as your spiritual leaders and pastors, 
is to shepherd ourselves and to shepherd you into maturity wisely. And so I want to invite you. I want to invite you and challenge you in the next six weeks, as this year closes out, to take one of these. There's some out on the info table. Will will be standing out as you head out today. You can take one from him if you wish. And to think about, hey, here's what we think we might be able to pledge to give to the work of the gospel through Christ Church next year. Now, some of you are like, well, I'm brand new here. If you're brand new here, don't take one of these. Don't take one. This is for people that are a part of our church, that are, that are members of our church. If you think, well, I have irregular income, I have no idea. Well, then just take one and prayerfully think about it and make an educated guess. If you think, well, I don't give and I don't want to give, then repent. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, I'm going to repent and I'm going to continue to give and I'm going to try and give more sacrificially. And our family's going to sit around this and pray around this. Listen, um, we're not doing this because we're after your money. I know this stuff kind of makes a lot of people sick. In fact, let me just challenge you to this. Give all, if, you, if you're skeptical of me and this whole idea, give your money next year to another organization. Give it to something else in the kingdom of God. Don't give us a dime. And see what God does. And then remember, in 2021, who told you to do that? Okay? This is something we haven't done before. Other churches do it. We want to try it and invite you to consider it with us because we really do believe. We really do believe what Jesus says here is true. And we really do believe that it's wise to store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And we're really not trying to be controlling or invasive or the IRS of the church. But we want you to consider wisely. And we want you to consider sacrificially how God might be leading you to support the mission of the gospel through our church by pursuing generosity. Okay? Let's pray.